I'll try to get this uh, voice working here this morning a little bit again. I've been thinking a little bit lately about where we get our information. And there's a television program that's been around for quite a few years. And it's called Reliable Sources. When you think about that phrase, reliable sources, you, you think about where we get, you know, we think about where we get our information and how reliable are the sources from which we draw that information. And it's also possible to think that we're getting re really reliable information but not getting it reliable. It's not reliable at all. So we can be entirely mistaken. It's thought-provoking and somewhat concerning to think that it's possible that what we rely on as orthodox may in fact be not orthodox at all. So have I cheered anyone up yet? Are you, are you, do you feel cheered up yet? <laughs> so I, I mentioned that this morning to, just to mention how important it is in terms of the sources uh, that we uh, rely on. I'd like to go back with you this morning to Mark's Gospel and I'm going to begin to read a little bit from the third chapter of Mark's Gospel. But I want to say that I'm somewhat, and have been for a long time, somewhat unsettled about where to stand on certain things. Now, you might say, uh, well, if you're uncertain about where to stand on certain things, then what are you doing standing in front of us? I think that uh, people who think that they are right all the time are scary people. I don't put much confidence in those people. I, I put more confidence in people who tend to question even themselves. You know, am I standing? There's nothing, there's nothing wrong with questioning because if you're, if you're right and your heart then comes into a place of teachability, then what you have believed, if it's been true before, will continue to be true. So it's not as if you're going to lose something by questioning. You don't lose it, but you have it confirmed. Big thing we need oftentimes is to come into a place of teachability where our heart is right and we're able to see. I'm convinced that when our heart is right, Jesus basically taught that those who would desire to know the doctrine would be able to understand and see it. So in terms of the sources that we draw on for our information, I'm going to show you something in a little while this morning. I think what I'm going to present to you and I have chided myself over the years for, you know, should I show this or not? Should I present this information or should I not present it? See, if I've just looked myself, I wouldn't present anything. In fact, I would not really talk very much to anybody about anything. If it was just me, I would keep my opinions to myself. And uh, that's the safest way. No one is upset if you just keep your opinions to yourself. So that's what I would do, but that's not what I'm called to do. So I'm called to share some things. So that's what I will obediently do. I just want to say to you that I have tended to question that a little bit because I think that we need to, see, we're, we're, we're moving into a period of time of uncertainty and we don't know exactly what it's going to look like a year or 10 years from now. So things are going to be very different going forward than what they are right now. We need to be prepared for this. I keep saying that. We need to be prepared and equipped, and we're not equipped. See, we think we are equipped, but we are not equipped for what is ahead of us. We're not. 
than we need to be. Why are we not equipped? Because we have drawn from some unreliable sources. And we're continuing to rely on sources that are perhaps not as reliable as they need to be. You see, there's a tremendous disconnect between the scriptures themselves as you read the New Testament from our Bibles and you read what was normal in the New Testament church and what is normal now. There's a tremendous distinction and difference between those two. How do we reckon, how do we account for that? So I know people have great teachers from the past and I like and admire many of them. But do I think they are correct in all their assumptions? No, I don't. Do I think I'm correct in all my assumptions? No, probably not. I, I'm going to continue to present some things to you. I'm a little bit undecided about how widely I should communicate some of these things. I don't want to communicate out into the larger world things that uh, I can't put in context for people who might hear it there. I'm going to show you in a little while, I'm going to show you a, a video that uh, comes from Africa. Africa. And Africa is the place that we send missionaries. We've sent missionaries for many, many decades to Africa to evangelize in Africa. And now, in various parts of the world, there are emerging ministries that are much more akin to what we read in the book of Acts than what we see around us here in North America. Theologians are struggling to understand this. And I think that many theologians today, very orthodox, solid Bible teachers, are doing the same thing as the Pharisees and Sadducees did nearly 2,000 years ago. Well, let me, let me begin with you this morning. Between Malachi and John the Baptist is a period of time of almost 500 years. The last of the Old Testament prophets, the beginning of the new era, you might say, of prophet in John the Baptist, the one who came to prepare the way for Messiah. It's almost 500 years, period of time. During that period of time, there's really not a great deal, no miraculous, very little miraculous. There were many times during the Old Testament era, for example, when there would be large spans of time that there would not be much with regards to miraculous. And so as we come to Mark's gospel, the uh, first chapter, he begins to discuss the coming of John the Baptist to prepare the way for Messiah. And during this period of time, you have these different sects or different uh, denominational, if you like, or partisan religious groups. And you have Pharisees and you have Sadducees and you have the Essenes. And the Essenes were the ones who opted out from everybody else and went and lived out in the wilderness areas. And they were very strict in their, in their lifestyles. And the Sadducees were more of the affluent. They're, they were the white-collar, if you like, group. They were the intelligentsia. They kind of concentrated around Jerusalem and around temple worship. Sadducees didn't believe in the miraculous very much. Didn't believe in angels or demons. Didn't believe in the physical resurrection of the body. So they would be liberals, if you like, very liberal, if you like to use that uh, analogy. The Pharisees were more numerous, and they would be more blue-collar, everyday kind of person, the Pharisees. Of course, there were different views among the Pharisees. So you had all these different sources of information. 
And the people relied upon one or the other. Some relied upon Sadducees, some on Pharisees, some even more. I don't think those guys have any of it. We're going to listen to the Essenes. We're going to go out into the wilderness and we're going to abstain from everything. Uh, appetites of the flesh, we will deny them all and all this kind of thing. When John the Baptist comes with his message of repentance, with a tremendous anointing upon him as prophet, and yet you don't see supernatural much with regards to John the Baptist in his terms of works, but you see awesome power of his words. Powerful, powerful words. And he called upon the people to repent and be prepared, hearts prepared for Messiah. And he was coming to prepare the way for Jesus. And then Jesus leaves. At a certain point, he leaves Nazareth up in the north, in the, the Galilee region. And he, after, you know, he's about 30 years old. And, uh, you know, keep in mind, he is very ordinary in appearance. His father is a carpenter, and he's a carpenter. Joseph, they believe, is his father. Just a carpenter, and he's a carpenter. And suddenly he leaves, and he goes down into the desert regions, becomes more solitary. He goes down, and he meets John the Baptist in the River Jordan, and he's baptized by John. Following that, he goes into the wilderness and is tempted for during a period of 40 days, fasting. I mean, there's a tremendous change even with the relatives of Jesus in terms of where is he? Where, where did he go? What is he doing? Has he left the carpentry shop? You know, wh what's happening with him? So it's reasonable to see that they're all wondering about what's happening. Something different is happening. Meanwhile, his mother Mary, she has all these things hidden, hidden in her heart that she's not really discussing publicly, but she knows a lot about him that she doesn't really you know, discuss broadly with people, she hides them in her heart and wonders about them. And she knows that something is about to happen here with him. And what is it? But most of the relatives and cousins and family members would be like, you know, is he, uh, w w what's happening with him? So now as we come into about the third chapter of Mark, he, is, he has called his disciples, chosen disciples, and he is, um, he is going from city to city within Galilee. And he's spending some time in all these different cities pr proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God. And, and he comes to Capernaum and chapter 3 and verse 1. Now, even as this time in uh, Capernaum, now he's already, he's already begun to do many miraculous things. He's healed the sick and he's cast out demons from people's lives. He's doing these marvelous things and the religious, you know, uh, sources of information, the sources, religious sources of information are struggling to s try to understand what's, what is this? What is happening? He does the things that we can not do, they said. The things that he's doing we can't do. That's disconcerting. How do you explain that? How do you explain that to your followers? How can you continue to be a religious leader in Israel and not be able to do things that this carpenter is doing? He's not trained in our schools. He doesn't graduate from our seminaries. 
He just comes out of the hills. As far as they're concerned, can anything good come out of Nazareth? They said no. But they were wrong. They said he, he does the things that we can't do and he's not one of us. Like he, Is he a part of the Sadducees? No. The Essenes? No. Pharisees? No. He's not one of us. Is he a Herodian? No. He's none of those things. He must be fraudulent. He has to be fraudulent. Now, there are a lot of things that are happening right now that, we're, that we need to um, better understand going forward. There are a lot of fraudulent things happening today. We're living in a period of time where there is deception of all time, all time high. And we're living in that period of time. But we're also living in a period of time where if we are not careful in terms of the sources of information or the reliability of the sources that we select, we may call something that is fraudulent correct and something that is correct fraudulent. We run that risk. That's what they did then. And if we lived then, many of us would have done the very same thing that they did. I would say, oh no, I wouldn't have done. Yes, we would have done the same thing as they did because they are, we're like them. We make up our mind based on things that we're familiar with. We have people that we're familiar with and we like. And we put our trust in them to tell us certain things. And others, we don't put any trust at all in them. Well, how do we arrive at that? A lot of it is personal preference. A lot of it is background. A lot of it is the way we're raised. They were the same way. And they began to be, many of them, they began to be very negative and they said it must be fraudulent. So now he comes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. In verse 1 of Mark chapter 3, he entered the synagogue again. A man was there who had a paralyzed hand. Now they become, they want to accuse him. And so they said in order to accuse him, they were watching him closely to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath. He told the man with the, with the paralyzed or withered hand, he said, uh, stand uh, before us. Come and stand here before us. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do what is good or to do what is evil? To save life or to kill? And uh, they didn't say anything. They just kept silent. And after looking around with anger and sorrow, very interesting, with anger and sorrow, can you put those two together? Anger and sorrow? At the hardness of their hearts, he, he told the man, stretch out your hand. And so he stretched it out and his hand was restored. Basically told him to do what was impossible for him to do. And when he told him to do it, and he did it in response to this word, which is the word that brought the worlds into existence. These amazing things we're talking about. See, there's a whole realm that they knew nothing about. And there's an entire realm now that we don't know very much about, experientially. With all due respect, we don't know very much about it experientially. And if someone is experiencing something about that realm, boy, oh boy, we do not trust that person. We don't. 
be telling, hold on there, just wait a minute, just wait a minute now. You're saying and doing something that I have no experience with myself. Therefore, I'm going to hold you at abeyance here. Now, a little bit of that's good. A little bit of that's okay. But boy, our hearts have to be honest and right before the Lord. We, ask that, we have to ask him to bring these things into clarity for us. See, there's too many people being lost now. There's too many people being lost. There's too many even of our loved ones who are lost. There's too many of our children who are lost and undone and are not ready for heaven. They're not ready. They're lost as can be. And it seems as if every word that is spoken to them just goes off like water off the back of a duck. It doesn't penetrate in. We pray and we do all the things that we know to do, and yet oftentimes they're not being one for the Lord. The truth is not penetrating deeply into their lives. They're not coming under conviction for the sin that they're living in. Why is that? We come together as we are today, and we encourage each other in the Lord, and that's good. And we, and we go through the scriptures, and I believe we go, th- go through the scriptures with insight and enlightenment. But I remember a conversation written to me many, many years ago that implored me in my new life in Christ Jesus to be useful in the kingdom of God, to see men and women be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I don't see that happening. That's not happening, even in my own family members, extended. It's not happening. There's a dimension that's missing. There's something that is needed. I want to encourage with my words. I want to encourage to move forward. I don't want to discourage. I want to encourage. I don't want to encourage anyone to run into a crazy town. I want to encourage everyone to look prayerfully and carefully into the Word and ask the Spirit of God to reveal the truth to us in experiential ways. Not just in theoretical ways. Not just in simply in doctrinal ways, as important as that is. But in experiential ways. I still have some very deep things stirring on the inside of me with regards to the loss of my brother Wayne. And so do you. When I say loss, I mean his early departure from us. And it is an early departure. And there are some things in that that I can't even talk about. But I know that there is a lot more than what we've ever talked about. But I know that the the deep, deep passion on his heart, heart cry, not knowing exactly how to even cooperate with the heart cry. No, he didn't know how to cooperate fully with the heart cry. But he had the heart cry, which was good. But that heart cry, as time goes on, days passes into weeks and weeks into months, nothing is really happening with regards to that. And it should be. It should be. It should be. And it's not been. But it must be. It must be. It must count for more than what it's counting for right now. Because that's a tremendous loss for all of us. But it must not be a loss, you see. It must not be a loss. It must be an investment in souls is what it's intended to be. 
It's intended to be an investment in souls, including the souls of his own children and mine and ours. There's a dimension. There's a dimension. We're not moving in that dimension experientially. And it needs to be moved in. You say, is that being moved in anywhere in the world? I believe the answer is yes. And is, there, is, there, is it being moved in? And are people fraudulently trying to misrepresent it? Yes. See, So how do you distinguish and, and discern between that which is fictitious and fraudulent and that which is genuine? Well, that's, that's the Spirit of God is the one who does that for us and enables that. Okay, let me come back to this. They were trying to, it says, immediately the Pharisees went out and they started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. I'm going to move a little more quickly because I could spend a lot of time on each of this and I, I, I don't want to invest that time right now. There's so much that could be said about the text here. Jesus departed with his disciples to the sea and a large crowd f- followed from Galilee, Judea, Jerusalem, and throughout all that region. So I'll move down to um, verse 9. It says, Then he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him so the crowd would not crush him, since he had healed many. All who had diseases were pressing forward to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirit saw him, this is really something, whenever the unclean spirit saw him, those possessed fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. Let me just ask you. I'm not going to rush through this. You say uh, this thing, this, 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 you know, this whole idea of people being possessed with evil spirits—like, you got to be kidding—is that really true? Did that just happen in Bible days? Are people possessed with evil spirits now? The answer is yes, absolutely yes. Say, so, well, I don't see any of this happening. I don't see these, you know, all this commotion. I don't see them crying out and falling down and blurting out and I don't see all this <laughs> just have a manifestation of the presence of God that is in this realm beyond theoretical but actual and experiential and you'll see that you'll see it you'll see it there thus you'll see it because it's just as real now as it was then. And it explains much of the behavior that people are manifesting now, as it did then. It explains uncleanness. We would be absolutely, I believe we would be shocked beyond words to realize the influence of evil spirits in the lives of people, even many people we know. We would be utterly shocked if the if it was opened up and we could see it the way it really is. That's what happened in Jesus' ministry. That's what happened. They had to they had to manifest themselves. They had to identify themselves. And they cried out and said, You are the Son of God. It says, and he would strongly warn them not to make him known. So he told them to be quiet. He said, Be quiet, don't speak. 
because he did not want this revelation of who he really was to come to the people from demonic realm. See, it had to come from the revelation of God's spirit and word to them. But this is a great thing. You say, you mean that the demonic realm knows more than the sometimes Christian realm knows? Yes. Isn't that an awful thing to consider? But it's true. But it is a forbidden realm, and human beings are forbidden from receiving their information from that realm. It says, then he went up on the mountain to summon the, the, uh, the, those that he wanted, and they came to him. He also appointed the 12 apostles. It names the 12 apostles. In verse uh, 20, it says, then he went home, or he went to a house, probably Peter's house, then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they were not even able to eat. Now when his family, this is the extended family, probably cousins and kins, kinsfolk, when his family heard this, they set out to restrain him, this translation says, because they said he's out of his mind. Now I want to hasten to say that the translators of the scriptures are a little bit undecided on exactly how they should translate these scriptures. And and so I, I want to say that there's a little bit of ambiguity here exactly what their full meaning is. He's out of his mind. They set out to restrain him. The idea is that he was at probably Peter's house and the house was surrounded with people so much so that he had no time to even sleep or rest or eat or do any of those things. And family members, extended family members, come down and begin to intercede into the situation. Did they think that Jesus was kind of losing or perhaps losing his mind or was acting strangely? Probably yes. Why would they think that? Because that's the information from the so-called reliable sources that they had relied on was saying to them. He's beside himself. Had they noticed something really strange lately in his behavior? The answer is yes. He had left home. He had gone down into the desert. They don't know where he was for quite a period of time. He came back, and when he came back, was he ever different from their eyes to see than he was before? So they didn't know how to put all this together. And the religious leaders were saying all these terrible things about him. So this is kind of a perplexing state. And did they want to help him out of this dilemma? Yes, probably did. Yes. It says, you see, you have to remember, he's a carpenter. They think he's just a carpenter. He's gone off into the desert and some people are saying he may be the Messiah. He Maybe he thinks he's the Messiah. And they're very concerned. Then it says, the scribes who had come down from Jerusalem said, and these are so-called reliable sources, where th these are from Jerusalem, you see. These are from the seat of power. And the scribes that came down from Jerusalem said he has, he has Beelzebul in him, the Lord of the flies or the Lord of the demons. He has Beelzebul in him and he drives out demons by the ruler of the demons. They're offering an interpretation or an answer to the question of what is the source of his power and authority and this appealed to all the religious leaders around and to some of the people. The reason he can do the things that we can't do, and we know they're supernatural, 
but he's deriving his supernatural strength from the evil realm, is what they said. Have you ever heard that with regards to Christian ministers over the last any number of hundred years or, or so? Who manifested in a realm that most did not? And walked in a realm that most did not? And were they ordinary human beings? Yes. And did they make some mistakes? Yes. And yet they manifested in a realm that others did not manifest in. And many of those who did not manifest in that realm were cessationists by doctrine, who believed that these gifts and manifestations did not occur anymore since the whole Bible you know, was fulfilled and brought into the final state. And they didn't believe these gifts were manifesting legitimately anymore. Well, then, see, when that happens, they have very easy then to say, well, this manifestation is a result of a familiar spirit or it's a satanic angel that is giving this information. So we do the same things, tend to do the same things today as they did then. And so Jesus said, it says, so he summoned them and he spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan rebels against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he's finished. On the other hand, no one can enter a strong man's house and rob his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man then he will rob his possessions. I assure you, people will be forgiven for all sins and whatever blasphemies they may blaspheme. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This is very, uh, it's very, uh, we have to walk here very carefully, very carefully and how we form our opinions on whether something is of the Lord or whether it isn't. We have to be very careful and cautious with regards to these things and walk very carefully. Of course, there are fruit and there are scriptural uh, guidelines for us. And you assess the nature of something by the fruit that it produces. That's what you do. A tree is known by the fruit that it bears. And this is absolutely true in spiritual ministry. And so it says, you just have to put up with me this morning with this thing because I'm going to just go right through it. I don't care. I'm not going to sit at home because I've got this. I'm just going to come out here and I'm going to just do like I normally do. And it'll be great. It'll be great. Absolutely. It says, then his mother and his brothers came. His mother comes, and she's the one that has all this hidden in her heart. She knows. There's a lot that she still doesn't know, but there's a lot she does know. The time, remember when he was 12 years old about, and, and he stayed in Jerusalem, and they didn't know where he was, and finally he said, why were you worried? Why were you worried about me? Why Didn't you know I must be about my father's business? See, the father's business here is not the carpentry business. It's not the carpentry business. Even at the age of 12, it's God's business. 
And this now, she knows, is he is about his father's business. So his mother and his brothers came to standing outside. They sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him and told him, Look, your mother, your brothers, your sisters are outside asking for you. And he replied to them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who were sitting in a circle around him, he said, Here are my, uh, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Well, just a little bit scriptural background. And you think a little bit with me about the dilemma that a lot of these people at the time were in about how do we understand what's happening? And basically our sources of information that we have relied upon now all our lives, we can't rely on those anymore. And we don't know what real sources of information to rely upon. It's a little bit like that now. Just be a little bit careful. Don't go crazy. Don't throw everything away. But just realize that, you know, don't be ready to reevaluate almost, well, almost everything. Just reevaluate it carefully, prayerfully on your knees before the Lord with the scriptures opened in front of you. That's the way to reevaluate it. Reevaluate your own heart. Am I right with God? Is there anything in my life that is not right with God? And if there is, get it out. Get it out. Let's get them all out of the way through the atonement of Jesus. Receiving his forgiveness and his cleansing and his purity, purification of us. Let's make sure our hearts are right. Let's be careful about the words we use and how we talk and what our attitude is while we speak. If we're arrogant and haughty and nasty in our words with our loved ones or spouse, we must cease and stop that immediately because it's wrong and it's sinful and it will cloud our ability to see the truth. See, a lot of this is dependent on us and our ability to see clearly. We've had information coming to us for many, many decades that we haven't yet seen fully and clearly as we ought to because our hearts haven't been clean enough to see it clearly. And that's true now. And it's got to stop. Because if it doesn't stop, we cannot be prepared and equipped for the time that is up ahead. And we will, we will uh, misidentify and misunderstand all these things that are happening around in the world right today, including in Iran and in China and in Africa. And there are a lot of different things that are happening now that you just watch and you say, oh my, what do I make of this, Lord? And some of it is off the wall. And some of it is not. Some of it is not genuine. And some of it is genuine. And you won't know just on your own understanding. Just your own mind. Oh, well, I can figure this out. No, you can't. No, you can't. Your heart has to be, it has to be revealed to your spirit and your mind. And you have to be clean and pure in order to have that happen. That's just true. And it'll never change. That'll never change. 
The most intellectual people today are people who are deceived on a regular basis. The ones who are not deceived at all are those whose hearts are right before God, even though intellectually they may not be outstanding. So I'll take you to this morning and present the balance of the time, a presentation from a young man, a fairly young man, who is reported to be a prophet or has a prophetic ministry. He's in Africa and he's in Zimbabwe. And in this presentation, there are two women who come forward for prayer. Now you say, are you uh, endorsing this? I'm not endorsing anything right now. I'm opening up some information that needs to be looked at carefully and discerned. But again, discerned the way we've talked about. Do we understand that? It's not about endorsing. See, this is what used to... Let me, let me take a bit of an aside here. Used to be early on, I used to get in these business meetings when I got reintroduced to church. Used to have business meetings and they had this thing of Robert's Rules. They had to have Robert's Rules. I said, who cares about Robert? Where is he in the Bible? That was my attitude. Robert's Rules. You've got to be kidding me. So what's Robert's Rules was that you had to have something on the floor, let's say a motion, had to be moved and seconded before you could discuss it. Okay, let's move and let's move, make a motion here, put the motion out on the floor. Do we have a seconder? Uh, yeah. oh, okay, and it's usually somebody who's sympathetic to the person who made the motion who becomes the seconder. Now you've got some, you've got basically a suggestion. Let's do this. It's not just an idea for discussion, it's let's do this. Now they expect everybody to objectively uh, evaluate that. And what, what I was, you know, what was so crystal clear to me is let's put the idea out on the floor for discussion. Let's not make a suggestion or a motion of anything. Let's put the idea out for discussion. Let's have open, honest discussion on the idea. No pressure on anyone. No pressure to say yes or no or, or maybe. Let's just discuss it. And as we discuss it, you know, the cream always rises to the top. So as we discuss it and prayerfully look at it and ask the Lord to give us wisdom on it, then the cream, the, the, the cream of God's way of thinking will rise, tend to rise to the top. Then we come to a place where there becomes a commonality of understanding. And when we come to a place of commonality of understanding where we are in substantial, in fact, almost unanimous agreement, then we make the motion, and then we second it, and then we go on in agreement. Anyway, I'm just saying all that to say there's a lot of things. That's what I'm doing now, is I'm putting something out here. I'm not making a motion. I'm putting it out to look at. Because now there are many others. I mean, there are just many others. And this kind of thing is happening in, I say, China by the thousands. And it's happening in Iran by the thousands. And it's happening in Africa by the thousands. And we have almost a, a famine in North America of this kind of depth. We have an entertainment in North America. But this is not entertainment. I, I don't believe it's entertainment.
So there's two women. These two women come in. They're from America. They have come from United States of America, and they have gone to Zimbabwe because they've heard of this young prophet, and they've gone there. And you'll see what their condition is. Remember, as we, as we look at this, remember that in every individual there is the person, and then there is the idea of a spirit that attends that person. I don't mean their, their spirit, but another spirit that attends that person's life. That could be the Spirit of the Lord attending the life of a believer. It could be an angel's presence, an angelic presence attending the life of a believer. Or it could be a demonic spirit attending the life of an unbeliever. So, But the point is, you've got the individual, but you also have, oftentimes you have a, another spirit that is influencing and impacting the life of that person. And that's for a good and it's also for evil. And so there are many people out in the world who have just their, 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 their own personality, but there is a spiritual influence that is impacting their life. That's what you'll see happen here. You'll see it happening for the good, and you'll see it happening on the evil side. Now, you'll see a difference between these two women even though they are together and they both come from America and they both come from a similar same background in America, you'll see there's a difference. You'll notice the difference in personality between the two and difference in placement exactly where they are as far as the revelation of the truth to their lives. You'll see that. And the other thing you'll notice is at the very beginning, the uh, young man, you'll find him to be breathless and it's almost as if he has suffered a fright it's almost as if he suffered a fright. Well, what is presented to us? And these are the things that must be evaluated. But again, you can't just figure this out in your own mind or you become partisan and impartial and wrong. Is he sees into a different realm and he'll see things about the lives of these women but he's enabled to see that from a prophetic realm, revelation realm. And he sees the women with weapons. At the very beginning, you'll see him breathless and almost like as if he suffered a fright. But he's seeing them in another place, in another circumstance, not just here, but in another place, in another circumstance. Now, I know from my study of the history of the, of the giftings and especially the prophetic office, that that is not uncommon to the prophetic office. Am I saying this man is a prophet? I'm not ready to say anything about that yet. But we've got it out here to look at, not to start making decisions on, but to look at and to evaluate. We're going to have to deal with not only this circumstance, but many, many, many others like this going forward and you're going to find some of them will be absolutely flawed and fictitious and fraudulent. And some of them will be genuine. And you'll have to know how to discern between the two. So that's the way it begins with him in a kind of a... And then I'll let the uh, video speak for itself, okay? You know, when we were in school and they used to talk about the dark continent the dark continent being Africa. 
a dark continent. And I believe that that title has switched from Africa to North America. Now, I mean, there's still a lot of darkness in Africa. But can you imagine that happening in Toronto? It should happen in Toronto. And I'm not saying that it won't happen in Toronto. But in the, cur- in the current state that we are in in North America, in our country, in Canada, United States of America, this position that we just saw in terms of what homosexuality is and what the cause of it is and what the cure of it is. That would be hate speech in our country. But it's the truth of God is what it is. But it would be considered to be hate speech in our country. And that's how far we have gone. Isn't that ironic that we would go to Africa to find this? I noticed a couple of things. You, 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 you noticed these too. And if you have an opportunity to watch that again, which you can do, they're on YouTube. These are on YouTube. You can easily find them and watch them again. Be careful, though, what you watch. Just don't go... It, my advice would be just don't go crazy about watching stuff on YouTube. Please don't do that. If you start watching stuff on YouTube that you're not supposed to watch yet on YouTube then the Lord will not open your eyes to it. And if he doesn't open your eyes to it, then you could take the wrong interpretation from it very quickly. That's true. That's just as true as can be. We have to watch our appetites. We have an insatiable appetite for food that is sinful. And we can have an insatiable appetite for information that is equally sinful. Guard against that. But when the time is right, prayerfully, there's a lot of information that would be beneficial for all of us. We don't know exactly what it is. Must be that. But I noticed the, the tremendous authority and, and uh, aggressive position with regards to the evil spiritual influence. And I also noticed the tremendous tendency and t- tenderness and love for those women. A number of years ago, I had an opportunity, a, a circumstance in my own life where I prayed with a, a woman, happened to be a woman. I prayed for a woman in a, in a different kind of a setting. And I prayed for the woman who was being troubled by a demonic spirit. And in that moment, I saw so clearly the difference between the spirit that was troubling her and her. And the one person, out, one person was over here and the other was over here. It was just as clear as anything could be. I spoke very aggressively in the moment to the spiritual influence and extremely lovingly and tenderly to her. And even afterwards, I thought, oh my, where did that wonderful love for her the love of God come from you see it was just it was so obvious so we have these experiences that the Lord gives us and and when the genuine experiences he'll use them later on to help us to better understand things that we see and as we discern but I 
notice that very, very clearly in uh, this young man here. The one young woman was much further ahead than the other one was. Uh, that was so evident. And the one who was not as far ahead needs to really um, continue to agree with the truth going forward to maintain what she has received. And we pray for her even now, even in this moment. We pray for both of them. We pray especially for her that her will now, what has happened to her in that place is that her will has been reborn. Renewed will. And the, uh, the evil, the, the force of the evil, the evil thoughts and feelings and desires has been banished. And that cannot return without her willingly allowing it to return. So we pray then she would continue to agree with the truth going forward. We just thank the Lord. Father, we thank you for your wonderful, for your presence. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're doing in the lives of people around the world. We pray for the prosperity of your work wherever it is. And we also pray for clarity of understanding that we all would have throughout the body of Christ genuinely between that which is of you and that which pretends to be of you, that we would see it so clearly that there would be no mistaking one from the other. In Jesus' name, amen.